Coming up on Market to Market, Congress keeps the rail industry in business and the EPA reveals their RVO numbers. Market analysis as well with Sue Martin and Matthew Bennett, next. What's the most complex industry on earth? It's not genetics or meteorology or logistics. It's a business that involves them all. It's farming. Thank you farmers from Pioneer. Tomorrow, for over 100 years, we've worked to help our customers be ready for tomorrow. Trust in tomorrow. Information is available from a Grinnell Mutual agent today. This is the Friday, December 2nd edition of Market to Market, the weekly journal of rural America. Hello, I'm Paul Yeager. The economy, well, it kept adding jobs in the month of November. Brisk hiring was the order of the day, despite the Federal Reserve's raising of interest rates. The economy added 263,000 jobs last month. The unemployment rate, well, it stayed at a 53-year low of 3.7%. The government's preferred inflation gauge rose three-tenths of a percent in October. Many economists had predicted the PCE's growth would be higher. The U.S. economy grew 2.9% in the third quarter GDP estimate, which measures the total output of goods and services. A major knock on the future of the U.S. economy, well, that was avoided this week. It's been averted because President Biden, he just signed a bill making it illegal for railroad workers to strike. The House and Senate agreed to legislation binding the rail companies and workers to a proposed agreement that was reached back in September. Now, four of the 12 unions rejected the original deal in the ratification phase. A strike would have happened and could have happened as early as next Friday. Freight and passenger rail would have been impacted as Amtrak and other commuter lines operate on tracks owned by freight railroads. President Biden said a strike would cause almost 750,000 job losses and would have ruptured supply chains for basic goods, food, and chemicals. The EPA this week, they released blending requirements, adding a great bit of volatility to the trade. For the week, the nearby wheat contract, well, that was lower by 36 cents, while the March corn contract dropped 25 cents. Weakness in bean oil weighed on the soy complex. The January soybean contract improved two pennies, while January meal added 17.80. March cotton improved 3.02 per hundredweight. Over in the dairy parlor, January class three milk futures weakened 31 cents. The livestock market was higher as February cattle added 75 cents. January feeders put on 4.15. And the February lean hog contract was up $1.93. In the currency markets, the U.S. dollar index shed 130 ticks. January crude oil climbed 381 per barrel. Comex gold increased 42.20 per ounce. And the Goldman Sachs commodity index was almost up eight points to finish at 615.25. Joining us now for their insights, Sue Martin and Matthew Bennett, two of our regular market analysts. Matt, I'll start with you on wheat. Um, the dollar weakened, as we just heard, but it's also very weak in the rain gauges in parts of U.S. wheat country. Why is the U.S. wheat contract so 
struggling to find any gain. Yeah, you know, the winter wheat crop's probably going to go into dormancy in the worst shape that uh, that we've maybe ever seen. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a kind of a train wreck as far as that's concerned. There's been a lot of talk about how good the wheat crop looks over in the EU. Uh, and, and quite frankly, I think that the wheat market's oversold. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say that I'm wildly bullish because right now, as far as the charts look, I mean, it's like another three-month low here today. Um, a technician's probably going to tell you that there's more room for downside. Me, personally, feel like it's a bit oversold. It doesn't look like we've hit a bottom yet, but I certainly wouldn't want to be selling here. Sue, is the wheat bottom in? Well, I, one thing I will notice or say is that... Um, today on the KC wheat on the March contract reached the trend line from the lows of 2020, August of the week of August 20th of 2020. And so this is a spot where there should be good support. Now, if we violate that trend line, we could fall another 40 cents, but I think we're really pushing the envelope now. Uh, we'll hit some wave fours, not much lower. And so I think, yes, we're very close. I think, let's put it this way, why sell it now when you didn't before? Um, you might be getting yourself, in fact, that'd probably be a good sign it's ready to turn. That sounds like the Thanksgiving talk I heard of why didn't I sell when it was at this price or yeah. whatever. So you're saying hold on a little bit. I am. I'm, I'm thinking you do hold on um, at this time. Now, one thing I've heard that India has a very good crop and they're looking at... Um, pulling their export ban off. And that could be a little bit of a negative that could possibly send us to that full wave four count. Uh, but to be honest, I think that uh, when I look at the market, it just looks to me like we're in the process of putting a huge uh, secondary low in. And, and I think there's better times to come. Or just as the crop goes into dormancy, you've got to look at your competition around the world. That's it. Matt, you were just in North Dakota last night. Uh, any optimism there or questions about what I should do with wheat? You know, there was a few questions, but to be honest, uh, that that was probably uh, not my most important question or the ones that they were asking the most. I mean, I asked them about the wheat up there. You think they're going to see an increase in wheat acres? You know, you, you've seen uh, obviously pretty good prices over the last couple of years, but historically we're still at a pretty good price. And they said no, uh, they didn't know that they were going to be looking at a huge increase in the area that we were in. Um, they were actually wanting to talk more about corn prices. So we'll move into that then. So what was their big question about corn? I think one of their biggest questions is, uh, what do we do with 23? You know, there's a lot of questions, of course, about old crop. And, and so there's two different discussions. But I'm just getting a ton of questions about 23. And I think it's people are nervous. And so you look at the uh, 23 settled under $6. Last time we had a settlement like that was on Monday of the Pro Farmer Crop Tour. And so, you know, uh, we also saw uh, DS 22 basically in, in March. Uh, that was the last time that we traded that low there, too. It was uh, Monday of the Pro Farmer Crop Tour. So we wiped out all those losses. The thing that's scary about 23 is that your typical producer is, is probably going to have the most expensive corn crop they've ever seen as far as their inputs are concerned. And so one thing that we've encouraged producers to do, if you are going to step forward and go ahead and book all your inputs, we got to at least do something to put a floor under some of these uh, corn prices. I'm not saying that I'm bearish. It's just that you're very susceptible, uh, even though fundamentally I still like corn. Uh, that doesn't mean that the corn market can't move lower. Hold your thought, because I'm going to set you up big time here, Sue, oh with uh, <laughs> Dustin's question that he sent us uh, via Twitter this week. Dustin wants to know, we have been in a two-plus-year bull market for grains. Will the markets be making new all-time highs, 
or will they start a new bear market in 2023? Start with corn, Sue. Well, first off, 23 was where I thought we would see nice, nice high prices. Um, because of China remaining at longer in lockdowns, I think that stalled that. I still think it's coming. I think it got stalled. Um, when I look at 23, what's interesting is, is it looks to me like if we have highs, normally a year of a three comes in around July. Um, but I could also see if we were to catch here, turn and close firm at the end of December for corn, I think you'd make a little higher high in January, possibly February, and I think the market would go into a bear trend. Into a bear trend? Yes, but not a long-lived bear trend. So, One may be for 23, but 24 and 25 look differently. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. What's your time frame then? So yes. you're saying a full year of a bear trend? Yes, okay. I think that uh, 24 and 25 is holding a little better expectation for it than what I originally had. And I think that uh, the dollar will see higher highs in 24 to 25, and that's where I think it'll top out. But I think that when I look at corn, I think the uh, EPA, when they came out with their um, uh, RV, uh, RVOs, and, and it was such a disappointment for corn because it basically went to cellulosic. I mean, a chunk of it was, and it was all vented pretty much around electric. And uh, cellulosic took a big chunk in there. And I think that shocked the trade. They weren't looking for that. And I think that's disappointing. But on the same token, we're still going to increase in ethanol. You're going to see um, in 23, we're supposed to be 15 uh, billion gallons. But on the same token, you know, you've got 250 carried over from 2017, and then you have that same amount, 15.25 in 24 and 25, and in the meantime, the White House was under pressure to lower the uh, renewable fuels. Which is, yeah, that becomes a political thing, which unfortunately that's the way ethanol has become a political thing. Matthew, do you think that the EPA's, uh, was the market surprised by what the EPA said? Well, certainly. I think the one thing about it is that these are preliminary numbers that we're talking about. Um, I certainly hope that uh, as we move forward, maybe we'll get a little bit better idea that uh, actually uh, cellulosic won't take up quite as much. I mean, I, I agree with what Sue's talking about there. I think a lot of people in the trade were just a little bit disappointed, especially up front. 15 a quarter as far as 24 and 25 don't look terrible to me, and I thought it was yeah. fairly good for renewable diesel. But the thing about 23 that... that again scares me uh, if you did get into a bear trend is that uh, I really want people to stop and take a look at how much money they're putting on the table because a, a few things could happen not only you're putting a lot of money into the crop uh, you know and the producer should be flush with cash but uh, there's gonna be a lot of people still borrowing money money's not gonna be cheap and so the the what it costs to borrow that money is gonna be another line item uh, for some producers that if they see this market take a turn and they've chosen not to do anything uh, it's a little scary. What I've said is that high prices and high fertilizer prices, so high price of corn, high fertilizer prices, works a heck of a lot better than if you get your wish and fertilizer moves lower. Because if you get your wish and fertilizer moves lower, corn's probably coming down as well. You'll make more money with high corn, higher corn prices and high fertilizer. You find ways to counter 
that uh, differently is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what I'm saying is if you go back and you look whenever, uh, two, you know, two years ago, whenever fertilizer was at uh, multi-year lows, you know, we were telling producers, hey, let's step in and buy as much fertilizer as we possibly can. We had no idea the market was going to take off on a bull run for corn. What a beautiful thing. Uh, but the years previous to that, we had cheap fertilizer 2015 through 19. What kind of price of corn did we have and what kind of profit margins were we looking at? It just wasn't that pretty. You go to $6 corn and high fertilizer, you still make a lot of money just at APH yields. So your phone rings a lot. Are people still concerned high fertilizer as they make plans for 23? They are. Um, I think that what I hear from uh, clients is that even at $6 corn, you're not making as much because of all the inputs. And I think another thing this next year is going to hold is, are we going to see an acreage fight? You know, um, I think the acres and the acreage fight is going to become more and more stronger as we go towards 24 and 25. Um, but this next year, I think we may see more of a 50-50 uh, spread in in planting but um depends on what we do before because corn was sure sowing, showing mm -hmm. moxie in into soybeans and all of a sudden that just flipped uh, beans yesterday flipped down 40 cents on the after the yes. news from epa but also uh oil took a soy oil took a big hit um why is soy why were soybeans so reactionary yesterday to soybean oil because of the bio-renewable fuels, biodiesel. But I guess, yes, why were they so reactionary to that news just in general yesterday? Sorry. Because they had expected really large uh, RVOs, and they had expected that they had priced in so much of that, even in soybean oil, and then even palm oil fell apart. And so, you know, it's got to be... In the old days, we would say beans rally best with soy meal. That's getting to be not the case. It's getting to be that it's soybean oil that's carrying the bean market now. And that's probably something that isn't really going to change a whole lot. You've got Fairmont, Minnesota. You've got CHS very much expanding their production at their crushing plant. Um, you've got Cargill and AGP uh, expanding aggressively. So the demand for beans is going to be huge as we go down the road. Then where does corn fit in? Because corn's got to compete for those acres. You still need, yes, you can feed soy meal, but only so much. You need that corn for feed usage, ethanol, and so on. And ethanol right now carries a better percentage than exports. The acreage question, I'm guessing you had one of those last night too? Yeah, and so I, I kind of agree with Sue. And this is what I've been saying is that I think 23 could be the last year that we plant more corn than beans, given what's going on with this renewable diesel situation. Yeah. And so uh, I think it'll be very interesting because, you know, another thing that I've said in rooms before is that we like planting corn. U.S. producer likes planting corn, right? Um, in central Illinois, it's no secret we've raised some pretty good bean yields the last few years. And, of course, we had a 215 bushel state corn yield this year. We do like planting corn, but... Paul, I really like cutting 75 bushel beans and selling them for $14, too. And so, You're not alone, I'm pretty right, sure. Right, yeah. and so I'm not alone. And so <laughs> moving forward with all these crush plants coming online, you know, there's no question that you're going to see a pretty strong demand uh, for folks to go ahead and plant soybeans. Uh, you know, to me, we used to crush be beans for meal, right? That's and right. now we're crushing them for 
not just for oil, for oil and meal. Yes. And so I think moving forward, you know, there could be some fairly cheap meal in, mm -hmm. in this country. And I think that uh, expansion of the hawk sector might be something that a person wants to look towards. Well, you mentioned you were paying attention to our China discussion last week on the program. I mean, mm -hmm. how interested does China get on news of yesterday with what Matt's saying? Bean meal might be cheaper here real soon for the U.S. We'll just keep an eye on that. Well, I think, I think China, you know, everybody's so worried because China seems to be working these deals with Argentina and Brazil, especially at Brazil. And, um, but at the end of the day, demand is growing for everything. And China, as they come out of their, their lockdowns and get that economy really back rolling, demand's gonna be huge. And I think that uh, China knows that. Now there's two ways they can protect that. They're not gonna let us know what they're gonna do until they're protected. They're either gonna be long on the board or they're going to be uh, booking basis and booking up you know, their beans and, and corn. And they might be a little bit of both. And I think that when I look at the whole, you know, we get so caught up in the fact that China's you know, like we're going to lose some of our demand, yes, maybe at first, but then where does Europe go? You know, some of these other countries. Of course, it's a lot more sexy when you talk about the big elephant, but um, China needs us all. They need us all three, Argentina, Brazil, and the U.S., and I, I just think that as we go forward in time, this is going to kind of work itself out, but there's going to be some tough downturns through this, and but through the process of the um, setting up the um, energies and what we're doing, <coughs> excuse me, um, I think what we're going to see is a new floor put in for corn and for beans uh, with time. But we've got to kind of have a break to figure that out. Sue and I have been conversing about Brazil for the last few weeks about the unrest that's going on there. How much have you been paying attention to that? And how much should the American producer who's watching this show tonight I've been, what should they be studying? Right. I mean, I've been paying attention to it. The interesting thing is that the new president says, you know, they're going to take ground out of production. I just kind of want to see how that plays out. I, I think that's going to be easier said than done, quite frankly. Uh, but the unrest down there certainly uh, is warranted, especially when you start talking about agri agricultural production, because they've become an absolute powerhouse in the world export market. You know, and so I think that the U.S. producer needs to pay attention. Uh, it's not the only place of the world that we're trying to take ground out of production. Uh, it's, it's concerning, quite frankly. Uh, I do think that the, the producer around the world, especially the U.S. producer, is probably running as efficient and environmentally friendly as they ever have in the history of uh, production agriculture here in the U.S. And so uh, I want to pay very close attention to it, first of all. But uh, second of all, uh, I, I want to see how it all plays out down there because I don't know that uh, taking all the ground out of production that he suggested is ever going to come to pass. We're still at beans in the teens, 14 for that matter. Sue, give me a first six months of 23 for a range you like on, on soybeans, the November contract. I could see, are you talking November beans? Yeah. Um, I could see them go back under 13, uh, 1280 area, something like that. But I also could see the upper 14s form. That's, to me, that's almost a range. Um, rather than a nice trending market that's on a mission. Um, I think the market has a lot of news to shake out to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had recommended 
uh, making some sales around 1420 on new crop beans if you got the chance and we got close but not close enough and um, then the market fell but there's a lot to go through and you know the one thing that's kind of interesting you talk about okay all the soy oil we're going to need which means a lot of beans beans are going to compete with the crushing plants for processing for biofuels renewable fuels and biodiesel and but then also for export because countries need them and and then you look at the fact that we've got these these products and that demand now all of a sudden we've got all 17 i think it'll be 17 plants crushing plants between illinois iowa um, Minnesota, Nebraska, you name it. Um, so in the heart of the Midwest, what happens if we get a drought in 24 to 25? Because from what I'm hearing, that's going to be pretty doable. The weather becomes a story. Drought has been a major story in cattle country. Live cattle, Matt. Um, we, we had a report a couple weeks ago where I guess we're in that between time for fresh news uh, from the government. Cash trade, though, has been building in live cattle. What's that tell you? Well, you know how I feel about cattle, Paul. I think the last time we were here, I threw some big numbers at you. You know, let me just throw one at you. Placements in Texas, 86% of last year. What does that tell you? I mean, here's the thing is, is that moving forward, your numbers on cattle, uh, from a fundamental standpoint, could, could make a way for some awfully interesting prices. I think into the third quarter of this next year, maybe fourth quarter, uh, you could be looking at, you know, some $175 cattle anyway. Uh, my thing with uh, fat cattle is that uh, the consumer still has money. I mean, Black Friday, they spent more than they've ever spent. You know, and we've talked about recession. I know that. Uh, yes, there is some fear with the interest rates. There's no question that consumer confidence is probably going to wane a little bit uh, as they start to realize their budget for 23 uh, might look a little different if they've got much debt at all. Uh, but the fact of the matter is they're still wanting to eat beef. The producer or, or the consumer still wants beef. And as long as they've got money in their pockets, I think they're going to step forward. And the fundamental story is not going anywhere anytime soon. It takes a long time to build the cattle herd. And we've really trended in the wrong direction, you know, if you're wanting cheaper prices on cattle. Yeah, I'm not sure who wants them in that sense uh, other than, you know, going to the grocery store. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying, I mean, the consumer. Yeah, I mean, the consumer. The, uh, but, Sue, when, when, when you have this discussion about... Has there ever been a time when the feeder cattle and the live cattle contracts have been so close together where you've had to really pay attention to both? Because it feels like there are no independents. They are absolutely together. Well, they are. And um, when I look at the feeders, you know, it, it, we're in a seasonal time anyway for right now where the market pushes up into about the 7th of December, dips down towards Christmas, renews another step up into about January 10th, especially feeder cattle and then rolls back over for a, a brief break, and then you're on moving higher into April. I agree, I think Matt's right on. This cattle market, you know, the all-time high on April futures is 171.70. And I would think if there was ever a time that you could take this out, you know, um, Matt talked about Texas. Overall production, beef production, is gonna be at least 8% down this next year. I'm not sure, but the last time that was so aggressive might have been 1979. Um, I think the problem is with the cattle market is, is that everybody's bullish, or most everybody. And so it's how you work into it and get going. Um, but um, it's a market that I think we are going higher. We have immigration. 90% or so is males, younger males. 
Uh, so the demographics is meat eaters. Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, and there's another thing. In the old days, 5% interest, a 7% home loan, really not so out of line. It's just we got used to this 1.9 or 2.3 or 3%, 4% home loans. And um, to me, I'm thinking we can handle that 5, 6, 7%. Yeah. It would be if we got up around 9 to 10%, then I would say, oh my goodness, we need to really think about it. Real quick on hogs, Matt. can't believe we went this whole time and I have to say 30 seconds on hogs, but uh, do you see any optimism for the hog market spilling in there? I mean, in the last six trading sessions, basically you went down about seven bucks and then came back up. I mean, to be honest with you, it's a very volatile market. Uh, you know, anytime that you see the corn market come down and, and the hog market go up, it seems like all is right in the world and, and it, it makes sense to me. I just have a hard time getting real bullish hogs here, which doesn't make as much sense because I'm awfully bullish protein overall. But uh, I just feel like up here in the 90s, you know, when you get into a couple of uh, subsequent months, I have a hard time getting too far. And I don't think we see a lot of $100 hogs, uh, but we will if the cattle market catches fire like I think. But that's, again, that's going to be a little bit later on. I don't think it's going to happen right now. All right. That's Matthew Bennett. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Sue Martin Thank as well. You. Nice Thank combo you. here. This is kind of fun. All right. We're going to continue as we put a pin in this discussion and keep going in Market Plus. And you can find that on our website of markettomarket.org. Uh, we put this in podcast form. You can also watch it on YouTube, play it back, watch the trans, read the transcript, do whatever you want. And want to remind you that the email machine is always open. You can send us an email. Give us your feedback, your story ideas, your general commentary at the inbox of Market to Market at iowapbs.org. Always love hearing from you there on email. Next week, we are going to look at the expanded impact of those biofuel mandates, and we'll continue with the commodity discussion next week. Thank you so very much for watching. Have a great week. Market to Market is a production of Iowa PBS, which is solely responsible for its content. What's the most complex industry on Earth? It's not genetics, or meteorology, or logistics. It's a business that involves them all. It's farming. Thank you, farmers, from Pioneer. Tomorrow, for over 100 years, we've worked to help our customers be ready for tomorrow. Trust in tomorrow. Information is available from a Grinnell Mutual agent today.